Welcome to another episode of The Machine is the Message. We have a special treat for you today. I'm excited about it. Um, why? Because rather than our classic reaction style uh, podcast where we have an existential reaction to all of the things that are going on in AI, we're going to react to reactions of how people are reacting to things in AI. Oh, and God. so this is, it's, it's a focus on like, how are people feeling about this, right? And sort of like, what are the different categories? And so I've got about 20. I, I came up with 20. And uh, me and ChatGPT created some cute Pixar-style uh, characters of each one of them. And so I thought we could just go through these. And this is a bit of a preview. It's actually, I feel like, more of an extended director's cut of uh, the talk on uh, the Machine as a Message event, December 14th. Um, yeah, so for, before we get into it, the event itself is on December 14th, um, it is at 6.30, and it's a series of talks, it's going to be like an hour of mingling, an hour of talks, an hour of mingling, and then uh, whatever else after. Uh, it is going to be Pecha Kucha style, so pretty quick, and uh, the point is to foster a local community in Toronto who's, who's really building the future, looking at the future. Um, the topics will be AI, XR and uh, Framer. Uh, so those are like the, the topic areas, but uh, there is a wait list right now. Uh, I am gonna go through the attendees and make sure that the people who have attended want to be or should be there. For example, I think a couple of recruiters came and I'd rather have anybody who's listening to this podcast come. So if you go <laughs> to the wait list and you just say, I listen to the podcast, I will put you on the, on the, the right ticket. You just gotta know the right people. Look at this. It's just... <laughs> Okay. So my secret uh, hope is here too, is that, you know, Pat's going to help me flesh out the content of this and, and make the presentation that much better. So rather than this being 20 seconds on each, we're going to spend like two minutes maybe talking about each one of these characters and, and just kind of like, I, don't, I think this is going to be fun. So let's can we do, can you do 20 seconds and then we'll go back? That would be cool. Oh my God. No, I don't think so. You can't no, do no it? Chance. No, because I haven't like really thought about these enough. At this point. <laughs> Twenty seconds is nothing. You have to be concise. You have to know exactly uh, what okay. it is. Yeah. And each one of these is so rich that what we'll do is like we'll talk a lot and then like I'll do the condensed one later. Okay, that, cool. That's my own. So if you want the short version, come on Thursday, and I'm sure we'll record the that's talks right. too. There we go. All right, so let's start with Doomer Donna. All right, so we got the Doomer. Uh, sort of trope here. What's the right word for this? The Doomer stereotype? Doomer oh, I character? See. Doomer archetype? The Doomer archetype. There we go. So actually, you know, I feel like we'll change the title at some point too. I've got a rough title here, which is the people of AI. But So Donna fears the unchecked progression of AI. She's worried about job displacement, privacy erosion, the potential use, misuse of AI. Uh, she often feels anxious and apprehensive about the future. She's the person who's just thinking it's all going to go wrong. And this was the beginning of the end. We've tipped off the singularity. Look, we've got the Terminator, you know, on the newspaper here on the background. Uh, it's it's going to be bad. What do you think? Like the Doomer, proto, uh, Doomer archetype. I know this person. Like, I mean, yeah, I think this person, yeah. Not only reads the paper, probably writes for the paper. Um, <laughs> the paper, right? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I just think it's it's a valid concern. However, you have to be you have to question anything that is a typical plot of a movie. Like anything that's a typical plot of a movie probably isn't the whole truth, um, because movies are sensational, and it does feel like this person almost wants it to be more epic uh, than it really is, which is it's actually like a little bit boring. It doesn't work for a bunch of things, and like needs to be applied to very specific use cases. So, um, but I I, kn I definitely know this person, and I want to tell them it's gonna be okay, but you gotta start trying it out. You got it. So then yeah. you'll know. You'll know what's going on once you start trying it out. It's like, um, it's almost like a un, uninformed skepticism, right? Uh, where oftentimes, you know, people approach things with uninformed optimism. You know, this is the uninformed skepticism approach. And also like the mega fear, uh, you know, emotion totally driven by like, how bad could this really turn out, right? And there's a lot of headlines, like, you know, there's a lot of YouTube videos about people talking about how, like, this is the beginning of the end, and it's going to get really weird, and no one knows what's going to happen in a few years. And we say some of this stuff on the podcast. I think we say it from a different place than the archetype, but that just proves how much of, like you said, it is, at least to us, seems like a valid concern. Yeah, I think there's a piece of this that is typical responses to new technology. So, like train came out people were like this is too fast your guts are going to spill all over the cabin or like when the you know right. newspaper came out they're like people aren't going to stop reading books so there's just like the expected reaction to new technology but then there's their particulars of uh, L uh, llms ai generative art and i think there it's interesting because it is very much like it's not the steam engine it's not the factory it's not the assembly line it's like the thing that is writing this newspaper that she's reading. It's like, it's a new level, it's like a knowledge intel intelligence, um, knowledge work level, which is gonna come for her job, probably. So that's, it's like a different kind of anxiety than like the train is gonna go too fast or the newspaper's gonna make people dumb. It's like people won't, there's like an identity, I have an identity in my job, it's gonna do my job better than me. Who am I? oh, I don't like that this thing is making me ask that question. So some of what you just said kind of goes into our next character prototype, which is the declinist or decel uh, Derek. So mm -hmm. decel is the uh, derogatory <laughs> term that gets thrown around <laughs> a lot by axels, which are the accelerationists. You need to have to. that little, like, because there's like a little Twitter, you know, anyway. Like the little D C L L, I don't know. It's like something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the declinist. So Derek, he's concerned about the speed more than anything. He thinks that this rapid AI advancement is the thing that's going to screw things up. He misses the human-centered values. He's feeling nostalgic and disheartened uh, about the increasing reliance on technology. And also, I just love how ChatGPT envisioned him. You know, he's like a professor. He's got the like sweater vest. He's got the cardigan on top. He's in a wood he's paneled office, oh right? Yeah, he's got the, the name tag, right? <laughs> like looks so tired and like concerned, but also just kind of like almost ready to give up. He's just like, let's screw this. Yeah. This, uh, the rotary phone in the background, right? Like this is something so great about this image and the idea of a D-cell that just kills me. <laughs> Yeah, he feels nostalgic and disheartened. It's like a 
I miss the old days, nostalgia, the pain for the past. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is the, I guess this is the academic take. This is the take of the previous person um, made a bit macro. Like, it's not about my life, it, this is about society now. And um, <clears throat> what does it mean historically? Like, we need to stop growing. We need to stop the machine, the, the train before it hits the, the wall. Yeah, I, I, I can, I know these people, for sure. And these, these people are getting roasted on Twitter all the time. Um, or at least there's a, a, an opposing force, you know, in the you know, clump of humanity or in the humanity supercluster uh, of tokens where, you know, there's one that's really kind of pushing things forward and cannot stand that this person's thinking about slowing them down. Um, so I there's... Think, yeah. I think we could also just... Because um, I think decel is a bit of a derogatory term. Very. These people as compared to, like, others. But, you know, human-centered growth or, like, slow-growth economy... Or, um, yeah, just, like, uh, putting the reins on big tech and, like, um, technology for the people and kind of the, the, the technical commons. And I think, uh, you know who I think this is? is this is um, partly uh, that Doctoro guy, Cory Doctoro. Oh, right, yeah. It's like, you know, there's a role for, and I agree, there's a role for government. The question is, what is the role? And is the role to slow things down or to speed them up in the right direction? I think this person's probably saying, slow it down. Yeah, we'll also get to regulatory Rodney uh, okay. later. <laughs> okay. So the, we got the government angle uh, here as well. <clears throat> okay, so we've got Hustler Hannah. So this is the person you know who's just like, you know what I'm going to use AI for? Making money. Oh, yeah. you know, Hannah's enthusiastic about exploiting AI for business growth and efficiency. She's excited. She's optimistic. She's seeing AI as a ladder to her own success. Um, this is, is like, I love that, you know, ChatGPT chose, uh, you know, a woman for this one, I think because I put influencer in it, in, in the, uh, you know, tags, but the, there's all these, you know, hustle bros who are like, I used AI to, you know, make a faceless YouTube channel and, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And I'm making, you know, $9,721 a month, right. Uh, using AI. Maybe there's this. Yeah, maybe whole Hannah's, culture. Maybe Hannah's not real. Maybe there is a dude behind, uh, behind Hannah. <laughs> exactly, right? You never know. Um, so the idea of like the influencer or the uh, who's using AI to write their content and is so excited that this is you know available to them now. Um, hey, look at us! Like we look. This is this is AI generated content in a way, right? Like or at least in part. Um, not that we're making a huge bank on, on or any bank on the machine <laughs> the message. We're losing the bank, that's for sure. It's spending bank to get this to you. Um, luckily, this presentation was cheap to make via uh, you know, chat GPT. But I, I, I love this, pro this trope of the person who's like, all they're concerned about before they were, you know, deeply embedded in hustle culture. And now they just see it as like, now I can just hustle way more than I used to be able to. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's a hustle that like, hey, I used AI to do this thing, and I'm gonna do that thing more. Like, let's say, figure out what what images to put on T-shirts. Yep. And then the, there's a component of this person that's like, 
oh, I did that, and now I can tell a bunch more people to do that, and I can charge them to tell them how <laughs> I use the AI, and I can get the AI to help me figure out who those people are. Like, yeah, like paid group Paul or something, right? <laughs> like it's, um, who's your paid group leader? Paul. So the, I love, I, I also just love that they're so focused on output and that the value of AI for them is like increased output, price, essentially. Price. I can just, you know, if I was making this many, you know, Etsy digital wallpapers before, I can make this many now. If I was making this many NFTs before, and that NFT is a great example because it was so, you know, what, like, what a moment. Um, if I could, before people were like, this is just before generative AI, remember 2020, 2021, uh, people were paying artists on Upwork to make images that they were putting into digital at like JPEGs, NFTs, and then selling those, right? Um, not the artists, there's, there's a different category of artists who are making their own stuff, but this, you know, Hustler Hannah was paying them, right? Yeah, there's a, yeah. Yeah, there's like, um... This person is hustling. They're doing a lot of stuff. And then there's like an element of this that I think about like blog writers or people who are just like, now I can write 10 times as much and submit it as if I had written it. But it's kind of like yep. that. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> we got accelerationist Anu. So Anu uh, advocates for, or advocates uh, for speeding up AI development to solve global issues. Despite understanding the risk, she feels a sense of urgency and excitement about AI's potential. This is essentially Sam Altman, right? Like he said, nobody can accelerate faster than me. Like you know, that was, I'm butchering his quote, but it was roughly that. Um, yeah, the, the, the strong belief that I know this could be risky, but it's so worth the upside that we just need to push this forward even faster because of the current state of things on the planet and we could do so much better like it just all they see is the potential things that could work out first and they're the magnetic pull to that versus the repulsion from what could go wrong is just so much stronger for them than say you know uh declinus derek or uh doomer donna i think they also have a lot of statistics on their side and just like as one example uh there was a report from switzerland i think on self-driving and it said, uh, you know, 10,000 people are going to get into car accidents um, a year, maybe in the U.S., due to self-driving if it's on the roads. And it's actually a lot safer. And yep. so some people might say, 10K, oh my gosh, that's unacceptable. There needs to be, like, no collisions. But there's, like, a million people who die every year worldwide yes. from cars. So it's like the accelerationist, is not, it's not just about, like, let's go faster with this because we're going to get somewhere. It's that like people are literally losing their lives because we are not implementing the technology that we have today. That's right. There's people dying today that we could save with this, right? Yeah. Yeah. the The accelerationist profile uh, is, I think, really rooted in possibility of, and and desire to solve problems and a real like you know pain of like this this sucks. It's not okay that we haven't solved this problem yet, especially 
when it seems like the solution is just out of reach, we just need to build this part of the technology. We just need to connect it to this thing. We just need to get it this much smarter and then we'll be able to figure it out, right? Yeah, and I wonder how many of these are a reaction to demographics. Like I think about like 1950s America or whatever, where it was just growing super fast. Everybody's back from the war. Everybody wants to do stuff. They're younger. And then, you know, we have a large portion of people who are older um, rather than young people. And I imagine the younger society, the more accelerationist, because you're like, let's get this stuff done, let's do it. Um, but with age comes wisdom, and there's certainly a counterpoint to like, hey, yep. hey, hey, hold on. Hold on. We, we may not want to build roads all over our communities, um, and may maybe preserve the bakery. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's take a look at Ethical Ethan and Ellie. Both are deeply concerned about the ethical concerns uh, of AI. <clears throat> they feel troubled by issues of AI bias, transparency, and the moral responsibility that comes along with this. Um, you know, what you just mentioned of the cars, you know, driving, thinking about the fact that there will be a day when a self-driving car kills somebody. And actually that day passed, you know, uh, several people have been killed in, in Tesla's. Um, and we like that we're in self-driving mode, not fully autonomous, but like, you know, they're semi-autonomous mode or whatever, even in that case. And like ethically, what does it mean to work on a product that you know could kill somebody? Or what does it mean when the government is saying and has openly said now, I don't know if you saw this headline, that they're making AI soldiers and they're giving them the ability to make essentially like lethal choice decisions meaning that they're building robots with software allowing them to decide whether or not to kill somebody. Like, the ethics behind that are wild. Isaac would be disappointed. <clears throat> As am all. Um, one, breaking one of the first one of the three rules. Uh, yeah, the, the ethics uh, piece here uh, is something we kind of all got to think about, uh, especially when it comes to machines. Machine gunning robots. Uh, Machines, like a robo dog with a machine gun on it, right? Like, it, did, I don't know if you saw that one from Boston Dynamics when they, they have yes. their big dog one, and then they're like, hey, yeah, we also put a machine gun on it now, right? It's like the most terrifying thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I think there's also, what's interesting about the ethics piece is like one of the bigger trends in ethics of the last decade has been effective altruism, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, Sam Bankman Fried was a huge donor to. Um, so <laughs> kind of lost, lost some credibility there. Um, but, but what that was about, it, it was kind of like doing a calculus of like, okay, well, you don't have to like give up your job. What you can do is you can make a bunch of money and then like give some of it to charity and like net net that equals out. And so there is some piece of this ethical framework that is like, well, actually, we should have some AI. Like, it's, it's funny that, like, the ethics has been about calculations, and now we have a calculation machine, and now we're worried about applying the calculation machine to ethical decisions. So. Right, yeah. There's, um, there's a quote from Dune, which is, and, and maybe this is more relevant to one of the other... Uh, you know, characters here, but it, it comes to mind here, which is the person who outsources their thinking to the machine 
outsources their thinking to the person who made that machine. Yes. Right. Yes. Totally. And like, yeah, first we create our tools and then shape our tools and then our tools shape us. Yeah, and I do think that there is a big divide between tool users and tool makers. I just think that that's like, even in design, that's like a really big difference. The ethics piece is huge. We could spend, you know, a lot of time there. Um, dependent Diana. So Diana's worried about society's growing dependence on AI. Um, she's fearing a loss of human skills, like, uh, and interaction. And she feels concerned and reflective uh, about this reliance. So this is, you know, uh, when when we have an address book in our phones, we're not going to be able to remember anything, right? Like that's the, the, the when we can ask ChatGPT for the top, you know, 25 Christmas movies uh, rather than sit around a table and be like, well, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, you know, we're, we're outsourcing a skill. We're outsourcing a piece of what we did before. And the concern that Diana has is like, we're losing something right that there's you know, when when you can use chat gpt or sorry like you know any agent to do some sort of job for you whether it's you know cognitive uh like you know critical thinking whether it's creative whether it's research driven there's a bunch of skills that the technology is employing that you are no longer employing and that's the the concern that and the dependence that comes from that People not being able to navigate with a map because we have Google Maps. Like people not knowing where they are, uh, essentially, is is the alignment here. You know what I mean? Yeah, this uh, image is appropriate. It's sort of like the robot is thinking about all these things, and all she's thinking about is that the robot's thinking about all these things. <laughs> right. She doesn't know her thoughts. But uh, yeah, the McLuhan take on this would be like every extension atrophies an existing uh, human ability. So. You introduce cars and it mm. atrophies like a community's walking um, mm. ability, right? So anything that you add, you need an equal and opposite exercise machine. And uh, yeah, I think that's, it's a, it's definitely a valid concern. I do wonder like, because previously the extensions have been like vision, like through television or uh, hearing through radio or, or uh, movement mobility. Now it's intelligence. Like once you yes. once you atrophy intelligence. No, sorry. Once you extend your intelligence, what are you yeah. atrophying? Maybe it's your ability it, to ask questions or be curious. I don't know. There's something that, interestingly enough, I actually feel like the ability to ask questions and to figure out what is the right next step, without necessarily knowing how to execute the step. So I feel like execution on steps is definitely going down, but so definitely going down is a bit extreme. I'm going to say what I've noticed is when I get the best use out of AI is when I kind of know a process, right? Mm. Of like, okay, yeah. first we do this and then we do this and then we do this. And that process is kind of unique and it requires, you know, some decision-making points somewhere along the tree, or at least to get the output that I want, I need to make decisions to guide it where I want. Sure, there's many potential outcomes that could be good, but there's the ones that I want, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that ability to ask decisions or, or ask and make decisions and edit is kind of going up and the ability to purely create 
and execute the space in between on the steps goes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like generating images or even just like calligraphy and cursive writing. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting. And so let's sit on this for a minute. Think about this presentation, right? I started with thinking about first, okay, well, what are we, what, what might other people be talking about? What are the different topics? What am I best, you know, poised to, to share? And then I got to this idea of the tropes and I was like, oh yeah, the archetypes. I want to talk about the different archetypes. So I sort of pulled up in my brain, like, what are some of the archetypes I know? And then ChatGPT helped me fill out the list a little bit and come up with the descriptions. And then I worked with it to create these images, right? And then each time an image came up, I would be like, yeah, not quite, no, like more of this and less of this. And to develop the style under which like, you know, all the images were being created. And, you know, I'm, I'm making the big decision points there, right? All the details of like, okay, in this image, the stuff that, the old stuff on the left, right? The, the old technology on the left being left behind for the newer technology on the right um, is, is, is the way that ChatGPT figured this out or decided to make this. The expression, all of the clothing choices, right? Each one of those takes mental energy. And if I was building the whole thing, that's so many decisions. I don't have time you know, necessarily for all of those, or at least the time it would have taken would be much, much more yeah. uh, to create something. So I think what you see what I'm saying here, right, is like you can kind of outsource to higher and higher levels. And it's just like having a team uh, almost. So it's almost like everybody's leadership ability goes up, but their lower level creative executional skills might go down. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what we're exploring here. Yeah, I think also like just the amount of decisions here, like you can jump to high fidelity. You can jump to a finished piece. I remember talking about this on a previous episode. Um, the future of like a document is that you start with a full document. Like there will be no more mm-hmm. blank document pages. Yeah. And so like everything will start as a finished product, which you are then editing. And so perhaps the thing that's atrophying is the ability to deal with a blank page. Like, what do I do with this? You know, Without which has always been a hard problem for people. Like yeah, that's yeah. a notoriously painful creative problem. Yeah. And are we, you know, it's assuming <laughs> there's an assumption in there that peop- there was a group of people who was even able to deal with that problem. You know, how much creative genius was untapped because of them being able to sort of kip that first domino, right? Yeah. The old Greek proverb, you know, half of everything is the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dependent Diana. All right. Let's talk about future Felix. So Felix is uncertain about what the future holds with AI's rapid development. And his feelings like really oscillate between curiosity and apprehension of the changes that AI will bring. And so he's, he's this character who's kind of like more on the middle and can see both sides of it very clearly. He is not pushing for accelerationism. He's not pushing for deceleration. Um, he almost has no agenda other than to explore a little bit but also feels a little funny about some of the things that are going on what does he do Uh, could be anything could be 
I would imagine he's not working in AI technology. I would imagine he's some sort of uh, knowledge work professional okay. uh, who's able to, you know, very, there's, there's options for him to be able to apply this, you know, quickly. Um, it's probably more of a speculator, a little bit less of like a jump right in, you know, character, like slower quick start, um, slightly more, you know, apprehensive in general. Um, to be fair, this, this uh, archetype feels the fuzzy, like a little bit fuzzier than some of the ones we've seen so far. Felix might not make it into the final presentation. I have like a couple more than than 20 here. Okay. I mean, perhaps he's somebody who's like, yeah, AI, I heard this before. This is just like when we introduced Google Wave or when we right. introduced like uh, 3D TVs. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to take off. But, but then he sees like, but wait a minute, that thing was like, oh, you d were able to do that? That's interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I could do that. Right? So he's oscillating. That's the keyword here, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Between, you know, curiosity and apprehension. Mm -hmm. This could be great. And also I'm a little bit skeptical or maybe it's not worth me starting to use this yet. Which is still a huge chunk of the population, right? It's like mm -hmm. people who think it's kind of interesting, but are also just not getting started. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about inequality iris. So IRIS is focused on how AI might exacerbate social and economic inequalities. And she feels frustrated and concerned about the potential for AI to widen societal gaps. And so there's kind of two schools of thought that I've heard on AI and societal gaps. One is that it's good news. AI is commoditizing intelligence when it like you know, people who don't have much money can buy a lot of intelligence. They can create a lot more value. Um, so, for example, a small business has access to be able to create more value uh, than they ever would have been able to with the same amount of resources as before. Right? Okay, that's one take on it. The other take is the people who control the AI um, or control the data sets have a widening, uh, uh, essentially, gap where they're going to be able to you'll get further and further ahead and consolidate, consolidate, consolidate more and more power. Um, that, you know, if you can imagine somebody who had an AI robot army or factory, they could essentially just have those AIs make whatever they wanted in a perpetual loop that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that creates more inequality, right? So you've got these kind of two, you know, opposing viewpoints. And she's on the second one of like, she's worried that we're going down that route, that this will bring the gap between the haves and the have-nots even wider. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that this juxtaposed with um, with the Hustler Hannah, uh, super interesting because it is kind of inevitable that if there's these Hustler Hannahs out doing 10 times as much, and then there's like the future Felixes, like just like, oh, I'm not really sure, there's gonna be um, a gap in just like productivity and what, what those people are experiencing. I think the other piece here that's nice that you've introduced is this economic lens, mm -hmm. because it does feel like um, when people see AI, they put a blanket on of their pre-existing notions that they were like thinking about before. So like capitalism, 
you know, mm-hmm. post post whatever capitalism, you know, this is like the end of the society, like this is like extreme inequalities, and now it's like AI, and it's like, oh, that's the same thing. Or like, you know, the the sort of hustler Anna, she's like, oh yeah, I've been like doing YouTube, I've done Instagram. Now AI, it's like the same thing. It's gonna allow me to amplify my my creation. So it does feel like this is one where there's a bunch of baggage that you're putting on AI um, mm. that you've got from like the previous uh, stuff that you were worried about. Right. And a, a different way of looking at that might be like new is different, right? This idea of, you know, when we get some, some sort of emergent technology, it's, it's, you know, a hive isn't just like a bunch of bees. It has properties and behaviors that are different than the lower level systems you know, underneath of it, and that there's going to be an emergence of, you know, assuming that this is essentially a higher level technology than anything we've ever built before, there's going to be, you know, massive emergence of new behaviors and things that may end up replacing uh, things that we've we've seen in other places regarding the economy, uh, etc. Have you seen, there's some pretty wild videos about there about like, almost like, I think it's called like post-economics almost of like, you know, what does it mean when technology is able to do everything and like people don't need to do anything anymore? Like, what does that economy look like if you looked at this at all? Uh, I mean, I've looked at various like UBI stuff, but tell me more, like what happens? So I don't understand it yet. I think we have to save this for another podcast, but the high level of, you know, just think about that as a question for a minute of when, you know, AI or you know, robotics can do 90% of the work. How does the economy even function? Who's buying stuff if nobody has any money, right? Like, is it just corporations who own a bunch of AIs selling to the government? And then it's like, okay, but like, where does the government get its money? There's a lot of theories on this. And I think a lot of them are like completely cracked. um, And nobody really knows because we haven't lived that future yet. And it's hard to predict what's going to happen in our own economy that we know the rules for let alone like a completely different economy somewhere in the future. Yeah, it is interesting. Like every new technology is inflationary to a certain dimension. So like I would say the web is inflationary for like information, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, even going back to what is money, uh, you know, was based on silver and gold. And then, you know, they went to South America and discovered a bunch of silver and gold. And that was inflationary, kind of crashed the entire French economy. And so the question you have to ask is like, what is AI? How is how is AI inflationary? And to like, what goods is it inflationary? And I do think there's a lot. Like I think basically what happens is, you know, where our whole society is set up to train intelligent people to make intelligent decisions, <laughs> right? And that's right. expensive. Like if you think about the highest yeah. paid careers, lawyer, doctor, financier, all those things are require intelligent people, but are largely right. formulaic decisions that an AI would be better at on mass. So, like, what is the inflationary result of having a bunch of cheap lawyers, doctors, and financial financial people? I don't know, but it's going to cause yeah. some crazy changes to our economy. And if your lens is like, let's have less in- inequality, uh, you're going to miss the picture. You're going to miss the like reorganization. that's fascinating man what a great great way to look at it and you know to your point there was this list that was made recently of you know it was the AI 
job risk report or something where um, it, maybe we've talked about this before on the podcast, but this idea that some guy or, you know, group of people put together a list of like 10,000 jobs or something like that. And then looked at all of the subtasks required within that job. Like, are these decision-making? Is this creative? Is this interpersonal? Is it craftsman? Like, are you making something with your hands, et cetera? And then paired those with things that AI are actually good at yeah, yeah. and said, okay, you know, how many of these things within this job role can be done by AI? Yeah. And then, you know, if 10 things out of 10, that goes to the top of the list. If it's nine out of 10, it's like it's second on the list, right? Um, and they created this job risk index. A couple things that were surprising were like CEO was really high on the list, right? It's about intelligence yeah. and making good decisions. And, you know, when you think about inequality, also like this, this is a great topic on its own, just in terms of like as decision makers, how hard it is for us. Think about, you know, Brian Johnson who's making all these waves right now about uh, longevity and how all he's really done is taken decision making out of uh, about his health out of the equation. So he doesn't make any decisions. He just created the system and he follows the system. Mm -hmm. The system is measure everything that's going on with his body, use the science to make decisions about what should be done or tried next. Don't eat anything you want to eat. Only eat what you're told to eat. Don't decide if you want to exercise or not today. Just do it, right? So he's not making any decisions about yeah. this whole thing because he realized when he was making decisions, he was destroying his health, right? So there's also something here about, you know, who's working for who. Uh, and there's that's a whole other theme on its own um, that's pretty exciting. And, but I will yeah. say, yeah, quick business idea on that is you take those professions that are like, affected by AI and the ones that are unaffected and like figure out some way to make a financial bond of like the unaffected professions. Like I'm thinking carpenter, <laughs> yeah, yeah. plumber, etc. And you just buy a bunch of their hours or time and you put it in a bond and then that, that will just grow in value. Like the yeah, value some sort of ETF or whatever that just like follows like an index, right? Like yeah. the, the AI threat index. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Not financial advice, everybody. <laughs> Not financial advice. NFA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to techno-optimist Toby. Toby is highly positive about AI's role in enhancing life. He feels hopeful and enthusiastic about the technological breakthroughs AI can bring. This is A16Z. This is the techno-optimism you know, uh, white paper that they wrote recently. Toby's entire body is like essentially been replaced with you know, like a little Iron Man body here, and he's thrilled about it. He just knows that this is going to be great, and our life is going to be better uh, with all the technological breakthroughs we're going to have uh, in the near future. Do you know a techno-optimist, Toby? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the word for this I've been seeing is, um, well, I think it's like the accelerationist, right? Which is... Yep. It's like, it's, it's again, it's taking your existing lens and applying it to AI. Existing lenses every technology that we've introduced has like improved human life. So like it is the reason that we are living so well today um, and it will just continue and actually accelerate uh, because of this. And that's why we're optimistic about making technology. Right. <coughs> yeah. So I guess maybe there's a slight difference of the accelerationist is, is 
and I, maybe the A16 thing is like those guys are accelerationists 100%, right? Um, so A16Z is a venture capital firm, uh, for those who don't know us, who are betting really big on this type of technologies, uh, you know, being positive. And they're trying to educate um, essentially like the larger populace that this could be, you know, positive for all these reasons. Um, and they, what was it called? The Techno Optimist Manifesto or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you know, some people like it, some people don't. Some people say it was tone deaf and they missed the point. I think that's also exactly this viewpoint here. Um, maybe without the hard accelerationist component of we just need to go faster because otherwise we're doomed. This is more just like, it's all going to be good and I'm stoked about it. Yeah, and you can almost see a spectrum of these things. And I do see this is like less extreme than the accelerationist. I think for the accelerationist... Um, there's this guy, Beth Jezos. Do you know this guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great Twitter name um, and great profile pic, but he was like anonymous and he just got doxxed by like the New York Times or something or Financial Times. Um, anyway, so he's an accelerationist. I think he's Canadian. I feel like there's like a group from Waterloo that are like in Silicon Valley that are like all about the ex accelerationist stuff. So yeah. Um, worth checking out for that extreme level. And they just started a AI company called Extropic, which is like physics based AI. I don't know, it, but it's like, it's out there. It's like, it's beyond uh, A16Z, I think. Okay, so very extreme. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk about creative Kara. So Kara sees AI as a tool to augment her creativity. Um, she often feels inspired and excited to explore new artistic horizons with AI's help. This is the mid-journey community. This is the, you know, Twitter, you know, art community. This is the people on DeviantArt who are using AI um, before DeviantArt kind of like, you know, banned that for a while. This is the people who are selling digital art on Etsy. This is the, you know, NFT artist community, uh, the people who are seeing the ability to say like, hey, I don't have to grind away. I, I never really enjoyed grinding away in Photoshop or I didn't love, um, you know, painting in Procreate or whatever. Like there's um, an awesomeness that I can get. I can just make images from my head become a reality using this stuff. Why wouldn't I, right? Yeah, it's almost like it, it is just a new filter it's like a new tool I can use. Like I think about, um, the new pixie, uh, video we were talking about before yep. generation. And just like, I see all these people who are like, Oh, now I can use it to make 3d models. Oh, now I can like, you know, put those models on a rig and make them animated. And it's just like, they're part, like these people are probably using the tools more, but like just really excited about the new palettes and, um, features that are available for, for making cool stuff. I was actually thinking about it for this presentation where I would love to have, and maybe I still can, but for example, the cost of creating, like imagine, look at this presentation, right? It was like high production value. To do this, you know, five years ago, yeah. two years ago, what would it have cost, yeah. right? Yeah. And what would people have thought it cost too? I mean, that's exactly. And yeah. this is like, you know, this is not necessarily like where the bar is now, but like it's 
this is, I was just able to do this, right? Yeah. And then I was thinking about it too. I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to do a presentation that was like, almost like, like a whole video, like the whole thing was just a video. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking about it in terms of like this, of like, oh, could I just put these into Pixie or like, you know, one of the online video tools, spend, you know, 20 bucks or whatever for a monthly thing or like however much I need to buy and just have it like animate these, like just mm -hmm. be like, I don't even care what you do. Just like yeah. make it B-roll, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's just moving and how cool would that be? And so maybe I'll try to do that before Thursday just to prove a point. Well, that would be um, really cool. I don't know and if it's so, open yet, but yeah, give it a go. There's a couple other ones that, you know, you can basically just upload stuff and it makes it move. And so, oh. you know, that's, I think, it, like being able to just paint over Kara here, for example, and then she's, you know, doing this with her arms or whatever uh, would be so rad. Yeah. So I'll see if I can do it. Um, the second thing, you know, I wanted to share on this is like, that was just like a creative idea. And like, I don't have any other thoughts about this other than, Hey, that would be cool, and this thing can help. And to me, that's that's me, my side of like creative Kara, you know, kind of coming through this. Mm -hmm. Kara, Kara. She's very opinionated about her name, so get it right. Sorry, Kara. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about uh, Toe Dipper Tammy. And so Tammy is cautiously exploring AI. Uh, she's new to the technology. And she feels a mix of curiosity and a slight apprehension uh, as she learns more. Look, this is, I think this is the same. These, these are the yeah. same character here, future Felix and, and uh, Toe Dipper Tammy. I don't know if we need to say much I more. I just think that there's just, she's probably got a group at work um, where yep. they discuss this. Uh, I think there's like a lot of teams that are talking about, oh, how should we use this? Oh, but it's not good at this. Oh, well, I heard this thing. And there's like an element of, she's on a team um, mm. or she's in a community of practice and they are wondering about, can they use it? Should they use it? it does it even work kind of thing? I feel like she's the person <laughs> who's like the first person on the team to try it out. Mm -hmm. So there's that team that's like, mm -hmm. they're apprehensive overall as a team and they're yeah. not like technologically forward. Mm -hmm. or they don't work in AI specifically, right? Like it's some, you know, let's just like a graphic design shop or something like that, right? And nobody's really done it yet. And she's like the first person on the team who's going to try it out. Yeah. yeah. She's that person who brings in some result and people are like, whoa, you did all this? She's like, yeah, and guess what? I did it with AI. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Maybe we, could we do that again? Could we do more of that? And then that sort of like kicks people off. You know, she's dipping her toes in just here and there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Let's get a couple more. Um, yeah, but Yasmin. So I know I know a yeah, but Yasmin. And so Yasmin acknowledges AI's benefits, but is quick to point out its flaws and risks. She's often feels skeptical and critical, always probing AI's potential downsides. So this is the person who accepts like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, but, you know, so it's like, you, this is the person where you're having a conversation about this. You say... I'm so excited about this, this, and this. And they say, yeah, but, and then proceed to, you know, call out something it can't do, call out something that might go wrong, call out why it's not good enough yet, call out why it will never be as good as humans, or yeah, but humans are always better at this, whatever. It's like, they need to just put a yeah, but after everything that comes first that's good about AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't help but see like Enneagram types in here. 
but um, I definitely know folks like this, and I think, you know, a lot of them are, like, lawyers, so <laughs> I guess that's the job. Yeah, but uh, you might want this contract. Is Kulak going to throw down some yeah butts on us? <laughs> I'm sure he will, yeah. maybe more of an optimist, but yeah. Um, what do you think is the dominant emotion driving the yeah, but right? Like what's in it for them to yeah, but I think probably they're, I mean, you could say historically they've been burned by certain optimism. Uh, but I do think that there's probably like a loyalty aspect to like, you know, the, the people they're worried about this affecting. Um, yeah. And just like risk averse, right? Like just trying to cover over your ass basically mm. what do you think i feel like there's a, like an element of like just wanting to sound smart you know when people just want to be right and you know they they want to like they they'd rather it, it's like they'd rather win than be right uh, almost you know that and it's like they'd rather just like argue the point uh in a way and it's like, well, sure, that is true. And I'm not sure it matters, right? Like that doesn't help you in any way. That's actually slowing you down. This viewpoint, taking this viewpoint and, you know, winning this argument um, isn't actually helping you or anybody advance. I mean, it is ex existential, so I can appreciate that. And maybe even just feeling smart in the face of like the smartest technology you've ever seen. Yep. Is some emotional need. Um, it's probably not that helpful on a team where you're discussing like what to do, but I could see the pull to like, well, I, but yeah, I won't do this. And like, there's a security that you might find in that. Yes, there's a, it, it's like putting on the brakes enough to just sort of it, again i think it's that like wanting to just wanting to just be to win an argument rather than necessarily be right yeah. um and even if they can see how something's right it's like well this argument still stands humans are still better at this it's like, yeah for now right but like <laughs> think about where this is going mm -hmm. um all right, let's talk about traditionalist Tristan. So Tristan values AI, but he wants to balance it with traditional methods. Um, he often feels protective and cautious about preserving human-led processes. So this is a guy who's willing to bring it in for something, mm. but not for everything. Mm -hmm. um, and he wants to essentially protect some aspect of what we do and not letting you know, the machines do that part. There's a, there's a bit of a cyberpunk uh, to this, would you say? He, he's totally got that, uh, or, or he almost looks steampunk, like just like his steampunk. outfit and everything. Steampunk. Yes, sorry, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, with the, the waistcoat and the pocket watch and, you know, like a bunch of traditionalism there. Mm -hmm. um, but also, like, he's got mechanical hands, right? He's willing to, to, to use uh, the technology to some degree. So there's almost like a line of like, this is what I think is great about previously. And this is like, I'm okay with using AI here and I'm not okay with using AI here. Yeah. Or I want it to be, I don't know, maybe this profile is kind of harder to understand. It's like a little more nuanced. 
Well, I think that I think it is. Um, it, there is like an embrace the past, and I I think about it as, like you're in your office training AI models in a Victorian house. Like that's like literally what happens all over. It's like yeah. you're in this really old house. You're wearing these kind of like button up shirts, and you're training crazy AI of the future. And so we're all living in some sort of like traditionalist or steampunk world where we have this juxtaposition of like a guitar and like a VR headset, you know, and it's just like there's right. a weird contrast there that this person has like figured out their approach to this, like what, what they're right. willing to give up and what they're willing to keep. I love that. It's like, yeah, they've, they found their approach and it is not letting go of the past. It's not rushing headlong into the future. There's stuff that they love that they want to hold on to. And then there's stuff where they're like, hey, I can do this part better, right? As a side note, um, for anybody who's worried about our AI overlords, just look at the spelling here. Like, the <laughs> spelling's horrible. I think you've got to fix that before the presentation. No, I like leaving it in. It's like, this is a moment in time. There's like this moment in time where we're going to have this hilarious spelling. Um, yeah, so. Traditionalist, yeah. There's some bad ones, you know, in the previous, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, but the, hey, look, it couldn't even put proper letters in before. And like this font is like kind of appropriate in this like yeah. Wes Anderson style knolling uh, thing that is put together for us here, which I yeah. really like. Um, let's talk about Privacy Paula. So Privacy Paula is deeply concerned about privacy specifically. She's worried uh, that every door and it, basically, AI is going to be looking at everything that we're doing. She feels vigilant, um, distrustful, and is advocating for strong data privacy and security measures uh, in anything you know coming to, to AI. Privacy, Paula. What, what do you think she's all about? Why, why is she so concerned? Again, it's like your existing frame. This person is somebody who's like, we need end-to-end -end encryption for messaging. This person is uh, the one who's saying, like, you know, ISPs need to allow mm. the open internet. Uh, and then AI is put into this bucket of, like, yet another way that, um, you know, the it's, I don't even think, so the previous one was more like capitalist, kind of economic. This one is more like when it comes to the internet and technology, yes. I'm free open source software. And that could come from any country or corporation. But I need it to be inspectable. I need to get in the details. I'm running Linux on my machine. You know, I'm <laughs> VPNing to like X, Y, or Z. And AI, it's it, it's the hacker news. Um, there's a hacker news archetype here, which is mm -hmm. like the person who always responds and is like, well, you know, you can't rely on it to have JSON. And if you scaled this up to a million people, you would inevitably end up with like some error case. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's good to know. But um, I was making these images and... Yeah. <laughs> thanks thanks for that uh, right thanks hacker news um i think there's a component here too about the you know we talk a lot about the always on observer and you know what happens when mm -hmm. everything's recorded mm -hmm. and when you know everyone has their own ai probably in the room um what does that mean and how do we you know <sighs> That, that's like kind of data privacy, but that's also just like, okay, so we're just allowed to have AIs listening all the time. Are the AIs allowed to record? If they're taking notes, is that actually a recording? 
yeah. right? Or are they, you know, interpreting this and they're just, you know, thinking their own thoughts? Am I allowed to bring, you know, an AI into the room in terms of like my phone? Do I have to ask, you know, to turn it on? Like I would have to ask to turn on a recording, you know, if, if you go to the doctor in Ohio, you can uh, just record without them even knowing it. Whereas if you go to the doctor in Pennsylvania and you try to record it, you go to jail, right? So like every state has their own privacy rules around a lot of this stuff. And I think the always on observer is an especially sticky piece uh, around, you know, privacy and where, you know, privacy Paula is, is, is concerned about that. It is the end state of all privacy nerds nightmare, right? It's like, and, but also secretly their desire, right? Like the <laughs> desire is I can trust a computer with literally anything, but I'm going to need to inspect the hardware level chips, the manufacturing plant it came from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the ethernet cable it's connected to. And so there is this desire to get to this pure security state. But there's also an awareness, I think, with uh, Paula that like most security or privacy breaches are social uh, engineering mm -hmm. and kind of understanding like people are not capable of managing this themselves. People will make bad decisions. And so, yeah, I, I think this is a super valid and important archetype in making AI better. Like I think Paula will make AI better. I think some of the other uh, anti-archetypes we've seen perhaps don't make AI better. They might make their workplace better. Or they mm. might kind of like uh, limit <clears throat> the negative ramifications for their application. But this person's kind of like interested in the technology and making the technology free, open, but also private and trustable. Yeah, there's... I, I, I love the idea of them making the technology better. Like that, that you know, that they're there to, you know, improve things knowing that they are moving forward and it's like you know how do we make it better as it moves forward and i'm focused on this slice of making it better right like i'm i'm not as you know worried about the workforce or i'm not as worried about inequality i'm, I'm worried about privacy right it's like there's these different things that different archetypes have sort of chosen as like you know this is my hill to die on right mm -hmm. all right let's talk about realist rachel um Rachel has a balanced view of AI, recognizing both its potential and limitations, and she feels pragmatic and thoughtful, advocating for realistic AI applications. I think this archetype is actually pretty rare. Um, I feel like the, being so balanced, look, she's got the scales. She's like, you know, very balanced uh, in her viewpoint. She understands the limitations. I, I honestly... I don't actually know a lot of realist AI people. I don't think that I'm one of them. Yeah, I think she's got to be um, in a different, like she's not an AI person. She's got to have some other leg to her stool. And I think part of that is maybe like she's in healthcare. She's like just seeing all these people coming in with misdiagnosis or mm. and she's just like, we can apply to this very narrow problem and it will be better. Like she's mm -hmm. looked at the stats. She has a very specific use case. There's fallbacks in cases where it makes a misdiagnosis, but on the whole, she's like, yeah, this, this can work. I can apply this in the same way. I would just apply like using mobile phones in hospital settings or something. Right. And we've all heard the use case, you know, Ilya Sutskever, I always say his name wrong, Ilya, um, you know, talking about imagine, you know, we create the 
sort of like super intelligence AGI. And then it just learns everything about being a doctor. And now we have the best doctor in the world available to everyone for pennies, right? Like, you know, this was used to take seven years, uh, like essentially 10 years to train a doctor for including all of their, um, you know, resident work. Now it's like, well, we have a million of them. We have 8 billion of them. Everyone can have their own, essentially. Mm. That's realistically, is that happening today or tomorrow? No, realist Rachel recognizes that, no, there's, there's a few things that we can do with this today and there's a few things we can do with it tomorrow. And maybe that AGI reality becomes true and maybe it doesn't. However, this is how I think I can use it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like, you know, in terms of where are the limitations today and where are the limitations likely to be tomorrow and recognizing that anything over that horizon is who knows. Yeah, it's also about how you can use it in a way that you it, it will output the results you want. I just think about the slide deck, and it's like, well, I can generate a person that represents some characteristics. And just kind of knowing that you could do that as a process over and over again, versus mm-hmm. like, I could get my AI to generate my whole presentation, and it'll be about anything. It's like, that's unrealistic, right? But mm-hmm. it is. It, this person kind of knows how you can use it as a tool for a specific use case. So, yeah. Let's talk about regulatory Rodney. Okay. Rodney emphasizes the need for strict AI regulations. He often feels concerned and determined to ensure responsible AI development and use. This is the uh, open letter uh, that was, you know, signed by a bunch of sort of big tech people. Um, This is the government trying to figure out where they sit uh, on this stuff. This is the concern that if we allow AI to, you know, essentially make whatever people ask it to make is going to make some stuff that's not really okay. Um, If we allow people to train AI as as cyber attackers, if we allow AIs to, um, you know, create uh, all kinds of, you know, taboo content, if we allow AIs to make lethal choice, you know, against humans, if we allow AIs to modify their own code, you know, like, what does that mean? Um, are the are these fundamental laws that we have to put around the technology? Um, or do we just like let it run? And Rodney realizes, we need some strict regulations here. And it's challenging to figure out what those are going to be. Yeah. And I, I think, notably, he's quite uh, the opposite of the techno-optimist or the accelerationist, where the belief is, no, there's a problem if we let this thing run on its own or we don't have checks and balances. Uh, I think there's also, like, copyright. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's yep. absorbed all these creative works and now it can reproduce them. We don't have a framework to deal with this um, and that we have to, to look into that and regulate it. I would say the critique from the optimist side, techno-optimist side, is uh, there's regulatory capture. So by Rodney getting involved, he's probably worked at a Google before, you know, he's probably worked at an AI or tech oriented company before and has now gone into government or vice versa is on the council of a tech company. And, um, there's a limit to other competitors being able to come to the space. If 
you know, this is regulated because then only like three companies can, can really train these models. So there is like a balance here, but there, yeah. And that's a cool conversation is between those, those different parts of the spectrum. Mm. Yeah, the, there's so many aspects of this. And like you said, it, it's, it's that balance between, Hey, we need to move this forward. And also there's some directions that we probably shouldn't, right? And that there's there's laws that currently exist that are kind of being broken here. Um, and there's potential for misuse. What I think is really interesting and challenging about this is that the stuff's gonna be some of the big concerns here, it's like it's like nukes, right? It's like how do you regulate nukes? Like multiple countries have to come together to figure out figure this out. It's not something where okay, well, we just regulate AI in Canada, we regulate AI in the States because it's like, well, okay, well, we'll just put our servers, you know, in Barbados and we'll do whatever the heck we want there, right? Offshore, we'll put it on a riverboat and, uh, you know, just also have like illegal cockfighting gambling, uh, you know, as well, because that's how we got around it in the past. You want like to gamble it here or use MidJourney over here, you know? Like, exactly, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're not generating anything here. We're just importing it via the internet. It's a big deal. Um, and we're not importing it. The users are. So uh, th I think the concern is, like, if somebody said, okay, well, you can't build nukes here. It's like, okay, well, we'll just have the entire factory, like, or we'll have all of the people figuring out how to build nukes here. And then we'll build them on a small island that doesn't have any regulation, right? Like that's the, you know, interesting global phenomenon here. But we'll get more to that in a minute. Okay, let's get through the last few here quick. Yeah. So we've got the evangelist Evan. So Evan's a passionate proponent of AI. He's often feeling as enthusiastic and persuasive as he champions its widespread adoption and benefits. So this is the person who's not just an accelerist, accelerationist and working on the technology. Uh, themselves it's somebody who is vocal they're you know they've got a big mouthpiece they've got a big twitter campaign uh, twitter uh, or like some sort of like pipeline or channel that they're using to be essentially a technological evangelist even if they're not building anything themselves they're pushing the message uh, out there to everyone else about why this is great evan is filling my twitter feed and giving me anxiety <laughs> <laughs> the it was anxious about you know somebody talking about how great something's going to be like every day there's a crazy thing like yeah anyway it's cool i mean it's like a it's perhaps an excitement uh reframed yeah okay okay uh it's realizing how much is going on right like the fact that there's all these people uh talking about all the things that could be happening is the confusing piece right it's hard to keep up yeah for sure the singularity approaches remember that time before the singularity man remember what that was like yeah so chill so then we've got resistor rita so reader rita resists the adoption of ai <laughs> preparing traditional methods she often feels wary and resistant <laughs> mistrusting the rapid technological changes she sees what the evangelist is talking about and she says no this is not okay. I don't want to use this. I don't want my kids using this. I don't want this in the school. I don't want this in my business. You know, I don't want my team using it. 
I don't want the government using it. I don't want anybody allowed to be making it right now. Um, this is, she said, she's essentially putting the brakes on this whole thing. What do you think about it? That goes back to written tests because of chat GPT. Right. Yeah. Hard. No, like we're just like not even, yeah, it's happening and I get it and I'm disappointed about it. It's like absolutely drawing hard boundaries around, uh, where it goes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Warrior Wendy. Oh my god, that's the apocalypse. Wow. This is bleak, right? <laughs> Wendy's primarily concerned about AI's impact on the workforce. Um, she often feels anxious and concerned about job security and the future of work. And so we've you know got this bleak image of her and you know all of essentially society's buildings crumbled and a bunch of people Sort of like in a, I don't know if this is like cold and snowy, kind of like the road style apocalyptic environment, or if this is, you know, a Mad Max, like either one. Or just downtown um, LA. Like <laughs> downtown LA as of now, uh, basically live from downtown LA. Um, <laughs> this idea that, yeah, if we don't, if, if it does take away all our jobs and we don't have any money, do we get left out? This is in part the equality uh, or inequality component. And we have to assume that there may be some haves who are protected in a bunker here. And there are like a huge percentage of have nots uh, who are left behind, mm -hmm. that their jobs are taken away and never given back, that that income is just never replaced uh, in some way. What happens then? And that's where you know their head is, that every time the conversation comes up about you know AI, they're the person who pushes back and says, but isn't this going to take away all our jobs? Yeah. It feels like, oh, yeah, I remember when, you know, they brought our manufacturing to Asia, basically. My, my dad lost his job. Or like, oh, yeah, I remember when they automated car washes and, like, that our business went out. Or I remember McDonald's came into every town. Yeah, so there's, like, a concept of, oh, I remember when technology or progress was said to be so good and it didn't result in or almost remembering, yeah, it said it was going to be bad, and it was bad for some people, right? However, net, we didn't end up in this situation, oh. except for maybe downtown LA. Right. Like it, it, it's going to be know, really bad this time. That... Uh, well, that's what they're thinking, yeah, right? Yeah. Like They're thinking, like, this time is different, mm. right? Um, which is kind of also what a lot of the positive people are thinking about like you know no this technology is so great uh you know in a way i mean she, she's not only concerned about job security she's concerned about the apocalypse then i feel like this image kind of like overemphasizes that fear and that's like a different one uh, almost i think it's the, the the fear of no we're all gonna lose our jobs and then what right and that's almost like the end of the line of thinking uh and if it's going to take away all these jobs, how are they ever going to come back? And are we going to end up home? Uh, let's see, okay. Uh. <coughs> let's talk about global Gary. Gary focuses on AI's global implications, including its impact on international relations, cross-cultural dynamics. Um, he often feels contemplative and concerned about the worldwide effects of AI. So he's thinking about almost like, you know, the game theory here of, okay, well, 
hey, we just found out that you know AI can potentially break encryption. Now everybody's budget in Russia and China is going to go after you know that same technology. It's like the four minute mile. Once somebody knew it was possible, everybody's going to be able to do it. And then how do what does that mean for you know these countries having cyber war against each other? What does it mean? Like we were talking about you know from the regulatory perspective, what does this mean for international commerce? Um, as far as how we're, you know, interacting with each other, and the the impact that that has, how do we agree on these regulatory rules together? I think regulatory Rodney is worried about, you know, the details, hope, likely of where, you know, he's working and he's focused on those problems. Global Gary is thinking about it as like, hey, this isn't a one country problem. This is a global problem. This thing is bigger than, you know, uh. The U.S. destroying their own watersheds, right? And the, you know that's their problem. This is if one country gets this wrong, um, or if two start to fight against each other, and then everybody has to like, you know, kind of like arm up. What what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. How is this going to enforce the hegemony of existing nations, or how will this allow other nations to like rise multilateralism? How are we going to regulate? Probably. Also worried about climate change and nuclear war and sort of like international uh, matters more than the local, like somebody lost their job. Yep. Balance of power, right? Also shifting the balance of power. Um, so that's the end. And we've got all these characters kind of marching towards this future that some of them think is going to be glorious. You know, this, again, utopia here on the left and you know, we've got a minion in there. I don't know how that got in there. And uh, there's... The AI, man, loves minions. It does. It's because it's, it's all things Pixar style. Um, and then, you know... On, minions aren't on, Pixar, are they? I think they're DreamWorks. They are, it's true. Are they? Oh, yeah. They, you know, they are DreamWorks. Yeah, yeah it's, that's that's a whole other... Yeah. You know, it's chatty. It's, yeah, but... Right? <laughs> yeah, but, yes. And, uh, rearing your head... Uh, and then we've got the other half, uh, or you know, some you know segment of the population feeling like, hey, we're marching towards this doomsday, dystopian, uh, techno future that just looks really, really rough. And uh, which one is it going to be? With the AI mega brain in the middle, no matter what. And so, uh, I, I find this a really compelling picture of the future that we're kind of moving towards, uh, and how we're all facing it with our own viewpoints and our own biases and our own kind of hopes and dreams and, and nightmares. Yeah. I mean, this has been a, a great trip. And I think that a lot of this, I wonder about like, well, what's the spectrum or like, how can you compare these things? But, um, I think what's great is like everybody can probably see a little bit of themselves in the, each of these and, um, yeah, it'll be a great uh, conversation starter. And so, um, yeah, maybe we can publish that talk, uh, as well as, uh, set up some, or you can make like cards out of these, like some little playing cards. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Good question. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Those are very, but very it cool. can all be done quickly because it's creative right. Kara. We can just build this stuff real quick. Just tell AI to do it. It's yeah. Fine. I ask. I ask nicely. And I say thank you. I just feel like it's, it's good etiquette. <laughs> just for myself, right? Otherwise, I'm going to stop saying thank you to regular people too. Fair enough. All right, well, this has been a great episode. Um, I feel like the structured nature uh, will make this kind of have a, 
a higher longevity. Um, and uh, thanks for taking us through it. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks for helping me workshop this and uh, add some color uh, to each one of these. And I encourage people to think about, hey, which one resonated most with you? Who do you think you are? And how do you feel about this future? You think it's going to be the left? You think it's going to be the right? Um, let's 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 see where we go and and keep your own uh, viewpoint and bias in check. Take this moment to think about what that looks like. Comment, tweet us, uh, machine underscore message on uh, X, and uh, yeah, see you a little next time. Thanks for coming out.